we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. This is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center. And our guest this episode is the Chairman of the Board of the Center for Immigration Studies, Pete Nunez, who more importantly has long experience relating to border and immigration issues. He was U.S. Attorney for San Diego during the Reagan administration, which obviously involved a lot of immigration-related prosecution was Assistant Secretary of the Treasury for Enforcement in the George H.W. Bush administration, which involved likewise a lot of border-related enforcement matters. And he's been in this game for decades. And so I thought it'd be good for him to come in and basically, uh, you know, sort of reflect what was it like before, say, the immigration law of 1986 passed, what's changed over the years, that sort of thing. So thanks for coming in, Pete. My pleasure. So when did you start with the San Diego, when did you become U.S. attorney? You were assistant U.S. attorney before that, right? Yeah, I grew up on the East Coast and moved to San Diego in 1964. The Navy was smart enough to send me there, and I've pretty much been there ever since. I went to law school in San Diego, and when I got out of law school in 1970, I clerked for a federal judge. And I will never forget my first day clerking for the judge when the marshals brought in that day's contingent of criminals. 95% of whom were either drug dealers, drug traffickers, or people involved in violating the immigration law. Right. That was really my first inkling that there was something drastically wrong <laughs> with our immigration policy. So this is late 70s or 1970. 80s? Wow, 1970. Wow, okay. You know, the immigration law, the Kennedy law was changed in 65, and right. it took a few years for the adverse effects of that to take place. Right. But by the 70s, it was in full bloom. Hmm. Two years later, I started as an assistant U.S. attorney in San Diego. And from that point until maybe today, the overwhelming number of cases that confront federal law enforcement in San Diego are border-related, drugs and immigration. Right. Makes sense. So then you became U.S. attorney when? It was during the Reagan administration? Ten years later, after being an assistant, I became the U.S. attorney in 1982, the Reagan administration. I point out that during the, that 10 years as an assistant, almost nobody in Washington cared about illegal immigration. The Border Patrol and INS, which were then part of the Justice Department, were often referred to as the bastard children of the Justice Department. And you were in the Justice Department, too, because that's yeah. the U.S. attorneys are part of yeah. that. Yeah, and the five U.S. attorneys along the border, Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, West Texas, and South Texas, mm -hmm. we were dealing with this immigration and drug crisis long before anybody in Washington cared about it. Interesting. However, I recently going through my boxes in my garage, found articles from that time period, the 70s into the 80s, where Mainstream media, the New York Times, the Time Magazine, 
mm-hmm. Newsweek. I mean, all of the major national publications were doing front page, front cover stories about illegal immigration, which, I mean, today, if you got any one of those organizations to even acknowledge the problem would be right. a miracle. Or to say the word illegal, and they'd illegal. probably start firing people who did this. Interesting. Late 70s is when people started to get interest in it. There was that immigration commission, the Hesburgh commission that suggested employer sanctions, a ban on hiring illegals. So that was sort of when it started, I think, to kind of get people's attention. Right. And the way I observed, my observation was that the public pressure Mm -hmm. was getting so intense that even the Carter administration decided they had to at least feign or show some interest. And so rather than do anything constructive, they appointed the Barbara Jordan no, no, this is before no, that. This the, is the Hesburgh, Hesburgh Commission, Commission right. which took two or three years, and they issued their report the first few months of the Reagan administration, and then it took Congress five years to decide what to do with this. Right. All of the, the recommendations of the Hesburgh Commission were great, mm-hmm. and most of them were ignored, watered down, modified to a point where by 1986, when it passed, it had little effect. That was the big amnesty bill that President Reagan signed that gave amnesty to close to 3 million illegals in exchange for supposedly, at least on paper, prohibiting the employment of illegal immigrants, right? I mean, the point was to turn the magnet of jobs off. Right. It was described as a three-legged stool, border enforcement, which never happened, Mm -hmm. employer sanctions, which happened only on paper, and amnesty, which did happen. Which did happen, right. Exactly. So- I mean, that happened, you were sort of most of the way through your tenure there at U.S. Attorney's Office. Did you prosecute any cases that would have stemmed from that? In other words, employers hiring illegals, that kind of thing? No. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) The law was passed in 86. Right. And for the next two years, INS was in what they called an educational phase, where they were going to educate employers about what the law held and what it required. And that was essentially it. Right. Fast forward for a minute. During the Clinton administration, I met with the, then I was out of government. Mm-hmm. And I was with a citizens group in San Diego. And we met with the INS district director to find out what are you doing about employer sanctions? Now, I'm guessing this was 94, 95. Okay. So this is almost 10 years after IRCA passed. Mm-hmm. She said, well, we're still educating <laughs> employers. They're slow learners. <laughs> slow, and I said, look at, I mean, it's been almost 10 years. I mean, how long does it take to educate these people? When are you going to start prosecuting somebody? And the Clinton administration had no interest right, of course in not. doing that. Unbelievable. Now, let me back up for a minute. At the beginning of the Reagan administration, Ed Meese was a California native. He had spent some time in San Diego before. Well, he had been an aide to the governor, Reagan, Mm -hmm. and then had moved to San Diego. Oh, okay. And then lived there for a few years before he went back to the White House as Reagan's, I think he was counsel to the president. He was attorney general, wasn't he? Oh, later. later. I see. Okay. Well, he understood what was going on. And so for almost at least once a year, maybe twice a year, he would bring a delegation of Washington— officials, either Mm -hmm. from the Congress or from the administration, out to San Diego to show them the debacle that -hmm. unfolded virtually every night, where thousands of illegal aliens would mass on the Mexican side of the U.S. border. And as soon as the sun went down, they would charge across the border and 
the Border Patrol would catch a few people mm-hmm. and hundreds of would get away. And there was no meaningful fence at the time. There was so no they were fences. Just, right. There were no lights. There were no barriers. There were no obstacles. I mean, if the geography is ripe for smuggling, I mean, mm-hmm. there's really nothing to stop people from just walking across the border. Right. So that to me was the best news that I had seen in the years that I had been in the office, that there was actually someone in the White House who understood the issue. Mm-hmm. But after Reagan was reelected in 84, Mies became the attorney general, Mm -hmm. and he continued his focus on the border. And there had been nobody before him, in my estimation, and nobody since him who has ever attempted to tackle the border problems that existed then and that still exist. Well, Jeff Sessions might be an exception, but things had changed by then. Yes, that's correct. I mean, I think all of us that care about border security were— Surprised, pleasantly surprised, when President Trump campaigning made immigration an issue. Right. And when he selected Senator Sessions to be the Attorney General. Right. I think, unfortunately, Attorney General Sessions was never given the support that he needed to actually do the things that Trump said he was concerned about. Right, right. Yeah. What did Meese do as attorney general that was notable? In other words, was it just drawing attention to the issue, or did he focus U.S. attorneys on prosecuting border-related crimes? He brought attention to the issue, Mm -hmm. and Urca was at least touted as a step in the right direction. I guess Mm -hmm. that's the right way to put it, that there was going to be better border enforcement and employer sanctions. Right. By the time the Reagan administration left office, none of that had happened. I I think it's just a question of how long it takes to get Congress to actually implement and provide the budget for either the employer sanction provisions or border enforcement. Mm -hmm. Nothing really happened on border enforcement until 9-11. Right. And that was a significant upgrade, I guess you could say, in in border enforcement. So under the first Bush administration, you were in the Treasury Department. Now, that involved a lot of things that weren't related to the border, but that included border-related activities, enforcement as well, right? Correct. I mean, this was pre-DHS. Right. And Treasury had a long history of hosting law enforcement agencies, the Customs Service, obviously a border agency. Right. But ATF, Secret Service. DEA as well or not? No, DEA was part of justice, so it was Secret Service, Customs, ATF. Mm Mm-hmm. The Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, which was the training center for most federal agencies, federal investigators. And there was a dotted line on the chart from my office to the IRS Criminal Investigations Division. Mm -hmm. What I think was notable during Bush 41 was that because of the drug issue, a number, a host of new programs were initiated, more resources were devoted. As long as it was about drugs. As long as it was about drugs. And our position was, look, if you hire a new Border Patrol agent to deal with, quote, the drug issue, he's also going to be there dealing with the immigration issue. So, fine. You don't want me to talk about immigration? We won't talk about immigration. We'll talk about drugs. Right. You know, I should go back a minute. During the Reagan administration, in my view, it was a revolutionary period for federal law enforcement generally. How so? When Reagan took office, there were fewer DEA agents, Drug Enforcement Administration agents, on the job than there were in 1973 when DEA was created. The Carter administration cared less about drug enforcement. 
So Reagan did a number of things. He gave drug jurisdiction to the FBI overnight by an executive order, hmm. which, which doubled the number of federal agents investigating drug crimes. There were huge resource allocations. When I became the U.S. attorney, there were 35 assistant U.S. attorneys. When I left six years later, there were 63. Wow. For San Diego. For San Diego. Right. Wow. And likewise, every other agency, every other U.S. attorney's office in the country, but the border agencies received special treatment. Mm -hmm. They created a program that allowed the military and the intelligence community to play a supporting role to law enforcement. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the details of it's kind of complicated to deal with the, quote, Posse Comitatus Act. Right. But when you think about the fact that no federal law enforcement agency had the resources to track an aircraft flying from Mexico into the United States, a clandestine flight into the U.S. Seriously? No, we had, we had no F-15s. Wow. You know, we had I no see. AWACS. We had no radar installations. So the military beginning in the Reagan years, was used to provide that kind of technical support so mm. they could say, okay, fine, there's a plane coming in. It hasn't, you know, reported in. And so then customs or someone, a DEA, so could respond to the threat. I see. I mean, there's a host of other innovations that the Reagan administration put in place. There was also a law passed by Congress in 1984, the Comprehensive Crime Control Act of 1984, which streamlined much of federal law enforcement and criminal justice, which was all good, mm-hmm. much of which has been, I don't know if abandoned is the right word, but certainly not embraced right. by current or subsequent administrations. Right. After you left Treasury Department, I guess it would be the Clinton administration, Clinton took over and that was the end of that. And so, I mean, what did you see, sort of what were your impressions of how immigration policy was unfolding in the subsequent years? I guess it was at the end of, I'm trying to remember when the Jordan Commission was impaneled. That was late Clinton. Yeah. So again, we saw a repeat of what had happened in the Carter administration. The Clinton administration was under intense pressure to address illegal immigration. So he appointed a commission, the Barbara Jordan Commission, which essentially duplicated and, and came with almost identical recommendations to the Hesburg Commission, which again, Congress completely ignored. Right. You know, immigration isn't rocket science. Enforcement is not rocket science. It is pretty easy to figure out what you need to do if you want to actually stop illegal immigration. Right. And for a variety of reasons, which you know better than I, Congress has now, well, for decades, just refused to bite the bullet and do what's necessary. We're not trying to send a man to the moon. This is not difficult. It just takes political will. So what do you think about employer sanctions? In other words, the ban on hiring illegal immigrants. It was included in the 1986 law. It was the big selling point. It really hasn't been enforced in a significant way, although at least now there's E-Verify, but even that isn't mandatory. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think it's widely recognized by anybody who seriously looked at immigration that the overwhelming motivation for people to come here, both legally and illegally, is to get a job. Right. So, yeah, there's other reasons, but labor. That's why Immigration Service was part of the Labor Department in the 30s up till Second World War. Right. Because it was viewed as a labor issue. Before IRCA passed, we had essentially no law 
that we could easily use to deal with people that were hiring employers who were hiring illegal aliens. So we were, we, I say the United States Attorney's Offices, the Border Patrol, the Immigration Service, we would occasionally use what were then called farm and ranch checks, where the Border Patrol would go to a farm, at least in my district, the Southern District, and they, under the case that had been approved by the Supreme Court, the Open Fields Doctrine, the Border Patrol could go and arrest people that were there illegally. Mm Mm-hmm. During the 70s, during the height of the Cesar Chavez labor movement, he would regularly call the Border Patrol <laughs> to come and arrest the illegal aliens because he was trying to unionize the sure. legal workers. Right. I remember an occasion when, you know, there's a racetrack in San Diego, the Del Mar racetrack opens every summer. It was created by Bing Crosby back in the height of the Hollywood era. Right. The Border Patrol about a week before the opening session of the race season, which is a huge event. Is this horse racing, car racing, what kind horse of race? racing? Okay. Horse racing, thoroughbred horse race. Right. The Border Patrol went to the stables where the racehorses were kept and arrested dozens and dozens and dozens of illegal aliens working sure. there. Right. And I'm sure that the, that the managers, the organizers of the Del Mar racing season saw their future disappearing before their eyes. Right. So they came to the Border Patrol and said, what do we have to do to keep you from coming back? And the Border Patrol said very simply, make sure you hire only legal people. Right. Now, again, this was before E-Verify, before any system existed, and it worked, at least for a while. Right. In other words, you basically scared the employers into complying with the law. We will take your workforce away from you if you don't do the right, right thing. Right. They did a similar operation at a hotel, one of the leading hotels in the middle of downtown San Diego in the middle of the tourist season. Right. And arrested a number of the staff. Right. Paraded them out of the hotel in handcuffs, Mm -hmm. which had another salutary effect upon the ownership and management of the hotel. Of course. So they voluntarily, at least initially, agreed to try to clean up their act. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, once IRCA was passed with employer sanctions, it all stopped. Hmm. And in fact, I think it was the 86 Act that actually rescinded the open fields doctrine right. under which the Border Patrol had been operating for decades. So they couldn't just go into open right. fields and check people's right. status anymore. Right. And now you had to go through a, a judicial process with a search warrant. Right. Again, employer sanctions didn't work from the outset. I have a file in my garage at home of the three or four or five times over the last 25 years where the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Diego, under my successors, actually prosecuted a single employer for doing something wrong. Right, right. Now, my belief has always been people respond to incentives and disincentives. The government does not have to arrest every single employer who hires an illegal alien. You have to arrest enough of them. You have to charge enough of them to send the word that we are watching what you are doing and the rest of the, um, you know, at least many of the other employers will get the message and will clean up their act, even without E-Verify. Right. It's kind of like you don't have to stop every car that's speeding. You just have to stop a few of them and everybody else will slow down. Exactly right. You can never arrest everybody exceeding the speed limit. You just arrest enough to make everybody else think about it. Right. So, again, it is inexcusable that since 1986, what's that? 
36 years. years. That Congress has refused to make E-Verify mandatory. In 96, what we now call E-Verify, which came out of the Barbara Jordan Commission, was proposed. And it was watered down to a pilot pilot program. program. Right. And I think since then, after 9-11, I think Bush 43 required all government contractors to use E-Verify. And there's some other categories of people in the employment world that now fall within a E-Verify requirement. Right. But this is a simple thing to do. And the technology exists. The chance of a mistake is, is so minimal that it doesn't even bear repeating. Right. So the Congress has been bought off by a whole host of political special interest groups who do not want this to happen. Right. And that's why it hasn't happened. Right. So you have any hopes for either this next Congress or a new administration? Or, or let me put it this way. Did you have some hopes when Trump came in that things might be improved? I had great hopes when President Trump took office. In fact, I was, I think in the first month, he visited a border patrol station somewhere on the southwest border. I don't remember where it was, Mm -hmm. but it was televised. I was in a border patrol station in San Diego on other business, and every agent in the building was watching Intently. Wow. And they all cheered. Interesting. When Trump talked about how we were going to enforce this, we were going to stop illegal immigration, we were going to control the border. And then from that point on, he missed the opportunity. I mean, there were so many things he could have done to implement the things he said he was going to do. Chief among them was his inability to put in place people who who knew the job and who could carry out his policies. I mean, there was a rolling roster of right. people that passed through all of the critical offices that were required to enforce the immigration law. It was just a colossal missed opportunity. And E-Verify, he could have somehow, seems to me, extended mandatory E-Verify even further. Arthur on our staff suggests the president probably has the authority through regulation to mandate it. But anyway, the point is you got to try, you know, and right. a lot of those things just weren't happening. I mean, part of it wasn't even just that there was a revolving door. It's that some of the people going through the revolving door were not particularly good, even if they hadn't been revolving. In other words, they were not people committed to the president's agenda. So what do you think about going forward? What's it look like? I always hope that I can be confident <laughs> or, or optimistic. You know, the past, what, 50 years? would lead you to believe that there's no hope, Mm -hmm. but we can't give up. You know, there was a time in Congress not too far in the past where we had senators and congressmen who were just exactly the right people to get this done. Unfortunately, many of them have passed out of Congress and are no longer there, so we need to find new champions. Mm -hmm. Look, this is about the rule of law. The United States prides itself on being a nation that abides by the rule of law. We send people around the world to try to teach other countries, to influence other countries on the importance of of the rule of law. You pass a law, you enforce it. The immigration law is the classic example of Congress passing a law and then not enforcing it. So certainly executive branch presidential administrations have ignored it and have refused to 
But Congress has always had the authority to require that these laws be enforced. Mm -hmm. Now, you want to change the law? There's something you don't like about the present law? Fine. Let's have a vote. Right. Let's let's change it if you don't like it. But until you change it, you are obligated. The Congress, the executive branch at every level is required to enforce the current law, whether they like it or not. Right. And we have just so completely ignored or gotten away from or, or forgotten the importance in a democracy of our representatives passing a law that then just lays fallow. Right, right. Yeah, unfortunately. And that's that kind of sort of lack of commitment to the rule of law doesn't even just apply to immigration. It's sort of a broader problem, but immigration is one of the places where it really smacks you in the face. That's right. For a while, I taught a class at the University of San Diego on the politics of immigration policy. Mm-hmm. I would tell the students on day one, look, at I have my own views on what the immigration law should be. Right. We're not going to talk about what I think is right or wrong. We're going to talk about what is the current law, how did we get here, and how should it be enforced or what's happening to it. Right. What are the political influences that shaped the law beginning in the 1880s right. through to the current day? It's a fascinating subject. I mean, and putting aside the emotion that often, almost always surrounds the issue of immigration, from a political science perspective, there is no better example of how Congress and our system works than to study the history of immigration policy. Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. And how it actually works. In other words, not even just what's not sort of the, right. uh, I'm just a Bill musical version from uh, Schoolhouse Rock, but what actually happens and how right. things actually get How done. did we get here? Why did we get here? And what's the current situation? Right. And you want to talk about changes? Fine. We'll talk about changes. Right. Okay, well, thank you, Pete, for coming in. Pete Nunez is chairman of the board of the Center for Immigration Studies, but also someone with long experience in and out of the government on the immigration and border-related issues. And if things do end up changing, we may have you back and see what you think about that. That would be great. Thank you, Pete. Finally, this week, I wanted to talk some about what consequences might come from the election. We don't really do election stuff here at CIS, but the Republicans do appear to be headed for a majority in the House. And so that's going to factor into the calculations of the Democrats for what is called the lame duck session. This is the last session of Congress before the new Congress starts in January. And so the makeup of Congress will be the one that we have currently. In other words, the Democrats will have the majority in the House as well as in the Senate. And so there's talk maybe of their pushing some kind of amnesty for DACA recipients or an amnesty for farm workers. There's various proposals that have been out, but the results of the election create a kind of imperative on the part of Democrats to try to get something passed before the Republicans take over the majority in the House of Representatives. And whatever the merits of any particular measure, and we here at CIS are generally, obviously, ill-disposed toward amnestying illegal immigrants, but there are always possible packages that would contain an amnesty for some portion of illegals as long as there are 
enforcement measures and cuts in legal immigration as part of a package, something like what was considered in 2018 in the House of Representatives. The Trump administration had pushed and almost passed. But generally speaking, it seems to me nothing substantive should be passed during a lame duck session, precisely because they're lame ducks. It's the end of the Congress. The new Congress has already been selected. And trying to jam something through just as a general matter, not even just for immigration, seems ill-advised, but specifically on immigration. Any package that contained an amnesty for, say, for DACAs or for farm worker, illegal alien farm workers, would almost certainly have some kind of enforcement promises as part of it. Maybe some money for filling the gaps in the wall that were left when President Biden told the contractors to stop construction. Or maybe some other kind of, you know, uh, increased funding for enforcement or detention, what have you. The problem is this administration has shown that it has no intention of complying with legal requirements regarding enforcement. The news came out this week that the October numbers of apprehensions, or they call them encounters now, at the border were released, and it's well over 200,000, the highest number, highest level of illegal immigration for an October, I think, ever. And so the idea of considering any kind of package deal that would contain enforcement promises as a kind of quid pro quo for other measures has got to be off the table. I mean, literally, it's not a question of theoretically whether something like that would or would not be a good idea. It might be, again, theoretically. But in the current circumstances with the administration literally ignoring specific, clear, unambiguous requirements in the law, for instance, detention of illegal border crossers until their cases are resolved, there's absolutely no justification for passing further measures related to enforcement or amnesty or, or anything else until this administration either changes its tune and starts actually enforcing the law and doing its job, or some other administration comes along in a couple of years and changes direction. So, like I said, while there are fruitful theoretical discussions about what kind of package deal might be appropriate at some point in the future, putting some amnesty together with some enforcement and some cuts in legal immigration, that kind of thing. And as a think tank, that's one of the things that the center explores. But actually in Congress, none of those things should even be considered. Literally step one should not take place under an administration that is in principle opposed to enforcement of immigration law, that has said on television that they do not consider it their job to reduce illegal crossings at the border. That's it for this week. We will be taking next week off because it'll be Thanksgiving and we want to make sure everybody is at home or with their families or friends celebrating Thanksgiving. I hope all of you have a peaceful and meaningful Thanksgiving, and we will be back the following week. 